1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot, scaling
1: IoT with battery-free Bluetooth.
0: Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week, we are talking to CTO, co-founder of Mobstack, Ravi Pratap. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, Steve.
0: Um, so uh, you guys have been part of the Beacon ecosystem uh, really from from the beginning. Um, can you tell us a, and, and uh, give us a very short summary of what you do? And then I want to talk to you about how you got to do what you do?
2: Sure. Um, we, we're we essentially a, a proximity marketing solution, an end-to-end proximity marketing solution that is built on top of Bluetooth beacons. Essentially, we offer the complete hardware and software integrated as one solution in the cloud, you know, essentially delivered as uh, just all pre-integrated, so that's that's what Beacon Stack, which is our product, uh, and the name of the product line, Beacon Stack. That's what it does. It's a it's an end-to-end beacon-based proximity marketing uh, solution.
0: So I can buy a Beacon Stack Bluetooth beacon. You've got pictures of them on your website, um, but where you differentiate, because there's lots of beacons out there, is the is the services and stack. Um, how has that evolved over the years? Uh, tell us that story.
2: Yeah, that's that's a yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting story in terms of just. Um, so you're right. You're absolutely right. Our differentiator and, and what we have uh, always focused on from the beginning has been the value that the software layer adds to this fantastic thing, invention and in technology called. Bluetooth beacons or BLE, well, or all of all of this that that the ecosystem is doing in the BLE space. Um, So when we started off, uh, the the history, the the, the funny thing is, uh, we raised capital from Cisco uh, a few years ago. Uh, This was uh, uh, one of our uh, this was our Series B round, and Cisco invested in us. Uh, And at that time, we uh, we were actually looking a lot more at Wi-Fi. It's a funny thing. So we, uh, because of Cisco, I suppose, to some extent, uh, were looking at Wi-Fi for indoor location and indoor location-based content and all of those kinds of things. And um, beacons, of course, were exploding at that time. And we saw a clear opportunity for all the software platform that we already had, already you know built. So we essentially said, this is... Uh, you know, this is great, the invention itself, hardware, Bluetooth space with low energy beacons and all that. But if, if the world is going to leverage this for indoor location services and for proximity uh, uh, marketing and indoor wayfinding, if you will, and all of these different applications, those applications are going to be led by the software and the quality of the software that is available to leverage that technology. And so we basically, from the beginning, even when we started out and started selling uh, our stack, that's how this beacon stack, right? We basically always sold it as um, a SaaS platform. So it's, that's kind of been been there from day one. We've always believed that it was important for the software to deliver the value on top of the hardware. And so everything that we've always done has been around um, this, the value of the software, the platform, uh, all of that deliver through a SaaS subscription model. And that's kind of what we have focused on. And so that's been, I guess, the differentiator, even in our approach, uh, to, to whole, uh, the whole space.
0: Okay, so full stack. Um, but um, you, you basically started off before Beacons, didn't you? I mean, because your company is almost 10 years old now, right?
2: Oh, right, yes. Yeah, so uh, when we first started, and as all companies have at some point in their existence, uh, we, we definitely pivoted. So we were uh, a product a company in the mobile space. So we knew mobile really well, and I guess that's kind of the, the genesis of all of this, right? So we were very early in the mobile uh, space around uh, mobile content delivery, publishing, and so on, mobile websites, and all of that. So we did a bunch of work in that space. We worked with some of the biggest news publishers and content websites back in India, but we we really found um, uh, that there was it uh, was this opportunity on on the location side, which was related to mobile, and we had a head start just in terms of how much we had done with with um, with apps and all of that. So we essentially got into uh, indoor proximity space etc that's how we started looking at Wi-Fi and then beacons through through um, through that time and so yes, yeah, so that's how we got into the beacon space so mm-hmm. beacons uh, came much after the company itself uh, but but that is now our our primary business and our only business and you've uh, so you've
0: stuck to it and and uh a recurring theme in my questions when I talk to entrepreneurs like uh, yourself is a lot of people say, Oh, beacons are dead, but it seems like they're not dead as far as you're concerned.
2: Well, I think as far as uh, we are concerned, and all my competitors, all, all the competitors I have the greatest respect for, uh, you know, uh, and friends as well. Like we worked closely with Estimote in, in the early years, we worked with uh, Contact, we worked with, uh, I mean, I We probably have had contact with pretty much Blue Cats, I remember, in Australia. We worked with a bunch of companies over the years, all in the same ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty certain if you ask them, you know, and just based on uh, what they're doing, the products that they're putting out, the customers they're working with, I think we would all agree that beacons, uh, I think, have not taken off some, uh, some kind of hockey stick growth, which is what you typically always want to see happen and never happens, right? But w- we, think, we think that beacons have been, in fact, very steadily growing just in terms of uh, entering our world, right? I mean, not as rapidly as Uber has, granted, right? But um, I think there is no doubt that beacons have been growing steadily uh, over the years, and even in our own business, we see it. Uh, the applications have grown, the sophistication has grown, all of that. Uh, so certainly beacons are alive and thriving. Um,
0: what are you seeing in terms of customers? You've got some great customers listed on your website. Um, I'd love to hear about some of the projects you've been doing that you see as being representative of where the industry is going. They're kind of the, the trends, the solution patterns, as we sometimes
2: call them. Right. Uh, well, um, I guess uh, the thing that we have seen a lot of us uh, uh, as a beacon stack in, over the last few years is we've we've just been we've just been much more focused on the proximity side, proximity marketing uh, applications of beacons, mm-hmm. perhaps a little more than than our competition and. Uh, and that's, that's one of the things that has helped us break out in, on that side, especially because uh, just as an example, I mean, I'm sure you see Google on our website, you see the logo, Google, and yes, we have uh, done one of the largest beacon deployments uh, in the world, right at least one of the largest. Uh, we work with Google, and Google has deployed our platform at 117 train stations in India, and these uh, beacons are present. All the platforms and all the locations, and it's pretty big, it's almost 3,000 or so beacons. And that is uh, again a proximity marketing use case. Uh, It's tied back to a number of initiatives uh, that Google has been up to in India. In India, of course, it's uh, every company is trying to grow their share of the market. There's, of course, a huge Number of people out there, and so lots of smartphones. Lots, I guess, hundreds and millions and billions of smartphones eventually. And so, so the work we've done with the Google, for instance, has just been, you know, all in the proximity marketing side is very, very focused on. Messaging, contextual notifications, driving app installs, driving landing campaigns to certain things, all of this, and of course, location based, right? So, at certain specific locations, at these train stations, and so on. That's just one example. We work with other companies. Of course, uh, we work with T Mobile in the US at their stores, and all of these use cases. And, I, and this goes back to really what I said earlier, which is we found a lot of success with. Our focus on proximity marketing, which has really been around um, how do you how do you deliver these uh, really engaging experiences for mobile app users and of course when Google Nearby was around, uh, even without apps, but just delivering these notifications uh, and what we call, I guess, proximity campaigns or appless campaigns. Uh, all of this uh, and, and, and in many ways are our, our mission, uh, what guided us from day one was um, I guess this, this principle of can we make our solution and our software so easy that a small business somewhere in North Dakota can come to our website, place an order for a, a beacon uh, kit along with the software, you know, have that FedEx to them, you know, they receive it in two or three days or overnight, and they unbox and turn the beacons on. And basically, start running a proximity campaign in less than fifteen minutes. That, that was basically the guiding principle for what we did for a lot of the last few years, because we we thought that it was crucial that the technology be that accessible and that simple uh, for for anyone to use. Of course, there's always like media agencies and app developer app development shops that, that are that are in the mix, but that was our guiding. I guess, uh, light in the sense that we just wanted to make the the, the technology that work out of the box and that's simple to use. That's why you'll find that in in Beaconstack's case, uh, unlike some of the other hardware companies, we're not so much about offering different options on the hardware configuration. For example, uh, there are all these things that the other companies will let you do, but we think that, you know, that's not necessary in the box mini market space. What you need is... End-to-end integration, all the hardware is pre-configured, the hardware is already in the cloud already. All of this, the SDKs are all designed to work with the hardware and all of that has a lot of value. That's basically um, what we've uh, been doing and and even our work with all these customers that I mentioned. We work with Uber in Taiwan, which is where we're doing a lot of proximity campaigns to get uh, drivers and their people to sign up at concerts and public events. So there are all these different campaigns that we're done, but they've all come back to essentially marketing use cases where uh, you know they're using beacons to do location-based
0: awareness
2: and location-based marketing and campaigns and so on.
0: So would it be fair to say that one of the differences between you and a contact IO or an Estimote is there? focus is to cultivate a very broad developer community on top of their beacons, whereas your beacons are really to support your full stack.
2: That is correct, yes. So we certainly uh, find that we are selling a lot more to end users, and like, as I said, small and medium businesses, even enterprises, many of the enterprises we want. In fact, Amazon was our customer at one point for some project that they were doing. All of those projects and everything we have done, we've... We focused on the 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 business use cases and and the the, the non-developers for, for just you know just to mm-hmm. describe that group of people because um, we think that there's just a, a plan there's a lot of opportunity in that space which is not developer led which is mostly led from business decisions business needs for let's say in warehouses or in in, uh, in indoor navigation let's say in airports and so on those are not necessarily developer-led. And so, yes, I think that's a, that's quite accurate. We we do it that way. How would you, you mentioned this railway
0: project, which I'd like to just hear a bit more about in terms of the specific use cases, uh, uh, because it sounds like it was less about proximity marketing and more kind of proximity services, uh, uh, but you, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. But before we get to that, the. Um, what would you say the health is of Eddie Stone, Google Eddie Stone?
2: Oh, so, uh, yeah, I think Google uh, Eddie Stone is actually just, you know, it's it's doing great in that sense. As a protocol, in terms of the specification, I think it's well established and everyone uh, is, you know, basically standardized on it. All beacons in the world today ship with both iBeacon and Eddy Stone mm-hmm. uh, as, as default uh packet types or frame types and so on for for BLE beacons and I think that is doing great. Now what Google did is it it shut down the Nearby Notification Service Mm -hmm. which is just one of the various elements in their essential beacon based API Mm -hmm. slash offering. Mm -hmm. So, I think Nearby Notifications, that they turned off. The rest of it is still the same. So Eddystone as a protocol, still very much, uh, I think, alive, kicking and and being adopted a lot more. Uh,
0: So what happens if I go to one of these uh, train stations in India and I have an iPhone and you're broadcasting, uh, uh, do you broadcast Eddy Eddystone UID or is it uh, ephemeral IDs that you're using there?
2: Well, we use Eddystone UIDs. Uh, uh, but, but the thing is, uh, see, iPhone was always off the Google nearby grid, right, so it was never on it. Yeah. But on iPhone, you yeah. always need an app, but the thing is that uh, iPhones and Android devices will both see both both kinds of packets, they will see the iBeacon and the Eddystone packets. Mm-hmm. The beacons will, they, they broadcast both kinds. So the iPhone will also see the same notification and everything, of course, you would need an app installed in that particular case. Yeah. But you get this exact same experience on an iPhone uh, as you were on an Android device. There's absolutely no difference uh, between the experience. So
0: by, how do you get the, are you broadcasting both uh, Eddystone UID and an iBeacon uh, frame? Is that how you um, get
2: the best of both worlds? That is correct, yes. You you basically broadcast Eddystone and iBeacon and any other frames that you want to, TLM and so on, Eddystone TLM. What
0: what about. I haven't looked into this, so maybe you're the CTO, uh, maybe I can pick your brains. What's happened with um, Samsung's close by? Did you ever see that, uh, did did anyone uh, leverage that? Or now that the nearby has been retired um, in in terms of the, uh, I still see beacons actually, I was in Times Square and there were physical web URLs being pinged as I walked through Times Square. But, uh, but I guess the, uh, my Android phone, if I had one, wouldn't be surfacing it in either the browser or the, the lock screen. But what about Samsung
2: with Closeby? I, I, our experience has been that Samsung basically didn't get the kind of liftoff that it expected for Closeby, at least outside uh, South Korea. They, they, they originally built um, the, the service for South Korea back in the day. I don't know if you're aware, but we were a close by partner as well. So we had, we were plugged into the close by ecosystem. So as a BeaconStack customer, you you were able to leverage Samsung close by in addition to Google Nearby and others. Uh, But I don't believe that Samsung close by, uh, just based on our data, really just worked uh, outside because primarily because of just how complex it was, it was tied to, Samsung Internet Browser, which is only present on Samsung phones, and there were a bunch of settings and so on that it was buried under. So it was not as straightforward as one would hope. Uh, and so I, I, I believe Samsung close by really just didn't, um, didn't take off. I'm very
0: conscious for some people this is all very understandable. Other people may be thinking uh, or even shouting, what the heck are you talking about? So just uh, maybe recap in terms of for the the newcomer to this uh, ecosystem. So we have different kinds of beacons that are broadcast, formats that are broadcast by beacons. There's the... Apple standard, there's the Google standard. Apple came first with iBeacon. Google then followed up a couple of years later with a much more complete Eddystone portfolio. Part of it was your beacons would broadcast a URL. That's now been retired. But what we're saying is that both at the heart of the Android operating system, the heart of the Apple operating system, both operating systems um, still have the foundations for these beacon uh, applications that we've been uh, talking about Um, and close by was basically uh, my understanding was same you know your beacon broadcasts a physical web url it's just integrated into the um, samsung browser was there anything else other than so you were a close by partner was there anything special that you had to do on the beacon front or on the browser front to to work with that
2: Yeah, so basically both Google... So just, just to add to what you uh, just described, Steve. So yes, Eddystone, iBeacon, these are the, the standards, and those are all just you know the same. Nothing has changed there. Uh, those are all at the hardware level. So the Beacon is transmitting those, those packet types. What Google Nearby and Samsung Closeby, what they did is they ran cloud-based services where you could register... Your beacon and certain notifications and certain content that you wanted delivered as a notification on their devices. I mean, on all Android devices and all Samsung devices. So, yes, there was a cloud component, so there were servers that they exposed, there were APIs that you had to hit to register your beacons and do all of that. It's, it's actually almost the same. Google has a bunch of APIs you have to work with. <clears throat> excuse me. And Samsung also had a bunch of uh, APIs that you had to hit. And so technically, uh, the hardware essentially did the same thing. It was transmitting uh, iBeacon and Eddystone URL, Eddystone UID. You can do all of them at the same time if you want. And and in fact, that's what iBeacons do. They do Eddystone URL, Eddystone UID, and iBeacon. And uh, what you have to do additionally is you have to have all the software side of the platform working to ensure that all your beacons are registered on both platforms, you're making all the API calls correctly, you have all of those messages and the content and all of that set up. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you so to come back to your question, yes, you had to do a bunch of work on the server side to make sure your beacons were registered correctly with Google nearby, and with Samsung close by so that... Uh, a notification could be delivered to a random Android or random Samsung device that was in range of the beacon and you know, the truth turned on and so on. It's
0: interesting, you know, Google canned the the physical web, uh, Eddystone URL notifications, uh, and the explanation was, it's too spammy. We, and I kind of get that, okay, no one wants to be constantly pinged with uh, uh, adverts that are wasting your time, but nothing, I mean, there was a registration process that you're describing that could have been used to weed out the spam, no?
2: Exactly, so. Well, to be honest, Steve, we, we we worked closely with pretty much everyone who was in the space and doing this work, and of course with Google itself. We don't understand why Google had to shut it down. To be honest, Google is Google. It can do anything at once using AI and machine learning, and pretty much all of the technologies available to it, there was probably, I, I would say, less than a, a month's of work that that would have essentially led to a spam-free notification environment for everyone. Much superior user experience. All of the things that Google didn't want on the network would have been meted out. I just didn't think that they wanted to do it. They absolutely
0: can do it if they wanted. Interesting. So let's go back to these railway stations in India um, what uh, what's the user experience that you get uh, from your application there
2: the user experience there is um, so this this project is uh, was a while ago and uh, at, at that time the primary be- primary goal really was raising awareness of the Wi-Fi services at these locations so mm-hmm. There are about 400 train stations in India now which have Wi-Fi, are all Wi-Fi enabled, and Google, along with uh, an entity called RailTel, which is a government entity, they run the Wi-Fi service at all these locations. So the user experience at these locations were basically leveraging Google Ladystone, you know, that protocol, and Google Nearby, delivering notifications that were contextual to the Wi-Fi, so they would encourage people to get onto the Wi-Fi, connect to the Wi-Fi, give them instructions on how to connect to the Wi-Fi. India being a country with 18 official languages, so there is a need to offer instructions in all those different languages, and of course that's possible uh, through the APIs that they have available on the Beacon platforms. And so we leveraged all of that to essentially run campaigns which could be modified in real time, there were scheduled campaigns, it would say something from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. and then say something else from 5 p.m. When there were cricket matches or whatever, the campaigns would vary and rotate. Uh, and all of that was possible through our platform because we built this whole thing on top of the basic Eddystone uh, and hardware, and of course uh, the, the Google Nearby notifications. The beacons also hook into apps that can detect them through the SDK, uh, all of that, but that effort hasn't gone live yet. So. so. Okay. So you're talking to me
0: from Washington, D.C. I think uh, most of your developers are over in India. Is that where
2: your CEO is based as well? Uh, we actually both fly back and forth a lot. So our office is New York City. Okay. Yeah, and I have a home office in D.C. as well. But yes, that's basically how, uh, how it is. And my co-founder CEO is also flying back and forth between India and Europe uh, a lot. Uh, so yes, that's how we're set up.
0: How do you see the differences in application trends acro- around the world? Because you're a, you you deploy globally. What are the differences between what's happening in India versus Europe versus uh, the United States?
2: Right. Um, well, from our uh, from our experience and just from, from the data that we have, um, it, it it does seem to seem to be the case that uh, there's a there's more deployment of asset tracking solutions in Europe. It, it just seems to be of far ahead, uh, you know, in terms of just that specific use case. Asset tracking seems to be just much more advanced in in in, the, in, in Europe in general, right? And I think that also. Uh, is indicated in some of the work that Contact and, and Estimo and all these guys have been doing. A lot of their work is really rooted in asset tracking and real-time location systems, as they call them, RTLS. I mm-hmm. think, yeah. So uh, I think we've also seen, based on our leads and based on all of all of the traffic that we get, the asset tracking is just much more prevalent in Europe. So we seem to be seeing a lot more of that in in Europe. I, in, in the U.S., it's very, very clearly proximity marketing that has for us, just been way ahead of all the other use cases. That being said, we do see, uh, we're beginning to see now much more interest in indoor location kind of applications where there's wayfinding involved and indoor navigation, basically.
0: So, and do you support all of those use cases? Do you do asset tracking as well?
2: No, we don't at the moment do asset tracking. No, okay. we don't. At the, so, so that's the reason why we don't actually service that market at all. Okay. Uh, and in fact, many times we'll tell, uh, you know, people on our website, why don't you go check, contact or estimate out because uh, of just, uh, because of their offering being closer to what they may need. Right. But we have found that in the U.S., proximity marketing is just so far ahead in terms of application. Second would be indoor refining and navigation applications. Right. There have been some good examples of uh, beacons deployed, uh, which leverage essentially, um, uh, yeah, they, they, they leverage beacons for a And
0: in that proximity marketing, is it brands or retailers that are driving it the
2: hardest? So we get, we actually, uh, we find that ours is a lot more driven by brands because we work directly with a lot of agencies that are essentially marketing agencies that are running campaigns and working directly with. With brands for different kinds of things. So yes, mostly uh, we have that kind of a customer base driven to um, and, and all kinds also. It's not just only retail specifically. I mean, we have we have some stadiums. We have all kinds of venues. Essentially, looking at these oh. options. Yeah. I'm assuming it's not you're
0: not doing work with baseball stadiums because that's sort of like there's almost like a monopoly that uh, Major League Baseball uh, Advanced is- Media have on that market. Is it? more
2: f- football uh, and stuff
0: no not mlb
2: no we don't have mlb but yes we we have um, so the other thing which I, I just wanted to bring out is that the interest in proximity marketing is also not limited to bluetooth beacons that's the other thing right so so as far as we are concerned for example our software platform also works with nfc tags and also works with qr codes mm-hmm. and those are, those are it, part of our offering because it, it makes sense from proximity marketing use case that those are technologies that one would want to leverage beacons along with some of those things. So we we are uh, finding that some of these auxiliary technologies like, like um, QR and NFC are also somewhat relevant but yes beacons are primarily where, uh, where we see all, all our business essentially growing. And lastly, where do you see all this going?
0: What are the, the, the trends that you're interested in that you think will be driving your
2: business in the future? It's a good question. <laughs> um, well, there are a couple of things, right? I think from from our standpoint, we just see in all the indications in the market that the online and offline worlds are going to continue to have to be connected in some way or the other, and uh, you know, I think with uh, smartphones and GPS, that was like the first wave. But but as things are progressing, there is just a clear need for whether it's retailers trying to drive footfalls to their to their stores or trying to retarget people who appeared in store to be you know get you know get targeted through campaigns online. Uh, on Facebook and so on, whatever the use cases, right? The online and offline worlds are going to have to be connected more and more. Uh, it appears whether it's whether it's done in one year and we have ninety percent coverage, or it's going to take five years. We can't be sure, but but I certainly think that as a result of that, we will continue to see uh, applications like refinding and of course proximity marketing, asset tracking. All of these will just continue to get more sophisticated, continue to grow and of course will not just be Europe, it'll be uh, the US as well. it will also be Southeast Asia and India we, we just get we're just seeing a very steady and organic growth in the demand for these systems and, and, and essentially this kind these kinds of software platforms. So yeah, we, we're really optimistic about the future. But what we don't want you know we don't we don't think will happen is some kind of ridiculous, you know, explosion that all of a sudden will will lead to a gold rush. I don't think that's that's likely to happen. It's it's gonna take the kind of slow building that I think a lot of the companies like us in the space have been doing. Very good. So more evolution
0: than revolution. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been fascinating. I've been uh, meaning to talk with uh, you and your company for for years. I'm really glad we got the opportunity to do that. Uh, Ravi, uh, thanks so much for talking with us.
2: Thank you, Steve. This was a a great opportunity and, and thank you so much for having me on your podcast.
0: Specifically, you have to come up with three songs that you would take on a trip to Mars. And I just wondered if there are three songs that you have in mind that
2: you would I, I prepared, yes. Okay, wonderful. What are they? Uh, so actually, I was thinking, when, when I started thinking about the question, it was uh, actually in terms of artists, right? Because I I believe it's unfair on the world of music to pick three songs. But um, I was, um, you know, I was, I basically looked, thought about it in terms of artists in my own life uh, as a young kid and then, uh, college and much later and uh, so i would say the three artists that that immediately came to mind and just jumped at me one is of course i'm indian and uh, uh, AR Rahman in my view is one of the greatest you know artists alive ever has been uh, for indian music and world music in general so AR Rahman is absolutely number one Mm -hmm. Uh, he's actually an oscar-winning artist i don't know if you've heard his name before so ARM on would be would be the first one that came but, to mind. But you there know, must
0: be there must be a song of his that is of note that we would we, you would want to listen to as part of his repertoire.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, there are, there are so many good songs, so many good artists, albums. I I would say the song that came to mind uh, is really the song called Dil Se, which in Hindi means from the heart. And it's, a, it's an early song of his, which he did long ago, I think it was 96 or something or thereabouts, maybe a little later. Uh, no, maybe I'm getting the year wrong, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it, it, it's just such a beautiful song from that time, that age. Also, it's got to do with nostalgia, I think, for me. So uh, in terms of where I was in my life and listening to that song. Anyway, so A.R. Ramon, absolutely every single song of his no cloud storage nothing put it on a bunch of cds and take it with you uh to Mars. right uh the second artist our uh, or band i should say is definitely led zeppelin oh. uh, but yeah i'm a huge uh, you know fan of zed zeppelin when i was in college i, I was um, a vocalist in a band and so uh yeah really? so oh, very cool so you yeah. would sing led Zeppelin songs well, I tried to let me put it that way. No, I sang a lot of other songs as well, but we we just worshipped Led Zeppelin, in, uh-huh. in, and and of course we, uh, I would say, r- did our own renditions of those classics. Right. Uh, but my favorite, of course, I, I think at this point, pretty much everyone and the anyone who's ever heard of Led Zeppelin knows the song, so Stairway to Heaven, of course. Uh, yes. Although I was disappointed to read about this this uh, lawsuit that's going on about it. So. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that. But uh, so, yeah, so Led Zeppelin, certainly they have a a number of brilliant songs, uh, No Quarter, Communication Breakdown, Immigrant Song. All of those are absolutely fantastic.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.